I'm Alia Einhorn. Welcome to a very special edition of TalkHouse, featuring the third episode of the Macintosh For the Love of Music podcast. In this series, we explore the history of legendary American audio gear maker Macintosh Laboratory through conversations with renowned musicians and audio professionals. Macintosh has been hand building the very best audio equipment in Binghamton, New York for over 70 years. Even if you've never heard the name Macintosh, you've definitely seen their gear with its iconic blue watt meters and green glowing logo. And their products can be found in the homes of many famous and influential musicians, both past and present. In the inaugural episode of this series, I caught up with former Grateful Dead electronics outfitter and renowned music gear creator, Janet Furman. In the second, I got the chance to go deep with Third Man Records co-owner, official White Stripes archivist, and drummer of revered garage rockers The Dirt Bombs, Ben Blackwell. Today, I chop it up with one of the most recognizable names in popular jazz and soul, Gregory Porter. Gregory has been using his powerful baritone on both Broadway and concert stages for decades. His smooth take on classic American pop forms has earned him critical accolades and fans the world over. The multiple Grammy-winning singer-songwriter has long had an intense touring schedule, and while the pandemic has forced him off the road, he's been staying very busy. Gregory has a podcast of his own called The Hang, and recently released a new album of original music, All Rise, which was nominated for Best R&B Album at this year's Grammys. Keep it locked to hear about writing songs in the sky, English accents and gospel music, recording in some of the coolest studios in the world, and so much more. Check it out. Gregory Porter, welcome to the show. Very, very glad to be with you. Yeah. You know, Gregory, I, I really want to kick things off with a huge congratulations on the recent Grammy nomination for your new album, All Rise. Yeah, thank wow, you. Wow, man. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm always shocked. <laughs> I've... I've been doing this a while now, and I still am shocked mm. when I, I, I come and there's an arena of 5,000 people or, or that somebody finds my record and, and I get a, a nomination. It's just, mm. it still blows me away. It's like, wow. My brothers used to always say, live in a dream, and I am. Yep. I am. Yep, that's it. Well, you know, I feel like one of the attributes that really distinguishes you as an artist, Gregory, is this ear you have for precise sounds. And on All Rise, you move between recording at the legendary Capitol Studios in L.A., yeah. a studio in Paris's famed Saint-Germain neighborhood, yeah. plus then the strings were recorded at none other than Abbey Road. Yeah. Can you share what was so special about each of those studios with us? Well, Capitol Studio in uh, Los Angeles was where we started all the sessions. Mm -hmm. I, I've been in that studio and recorded in that studio many times, very comfortable with the engineer there. And my, I call him my home producer. He's my mentor. Kamal Kenyatta is just down the way in San Diego. Mm -hmm. I knew he wouldn't be able to do the full project, so I wanted to be in a place where I felt comfortable, he felt comfortable, and we could work together to build the foundation of the record. And that's what we did there. We just recorded about five songs, but the songs, you know, when you go into a recording session, there's a, the songs that you know are gonna be on the record, the songs are like, okay, in yep. the process, yep. things will be culled down. So what I knew exactly would be on the record is what uh, he helped co-produce. 
And uh, we started the foundation there in this iconic place, the home of Nat King Cole, the home of Frank Sinatra, and so many other greats. The list goes on. It's incredible. The list goes on, and you're actually using their equipment. Yeah. Nat's microphone, yes. Frank Sinatra's chair. You know, wow. Do the engineers share with you, like, this came from this person, they used this on this session? Absolutely. Oh, man. That's magical. Absolutely. In particular, the last record that I did with Al Schmidt, we did in, in the studio as well. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> He was there for those recessions with Nat King Cole, with Frank Sinatra. Wow. So he's a real legend. Oh, and he makes he makes that record, the Nat King Cole record. But um yes, and then going to where we did the bulk of the record in Paris at the studio in Saint Germain, we wanted to make a home base because we were there for two weeks. Nice to kind of take over the studio. And that's essentially what we did. I mean, the refrigerator there was filled with all our drinks and our snacks and and the couch had the indentation of our asses. And so it was, uh, <laughs> it was really That's our, how you know you're home. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I was singing from the, uh, the control room and just watching my band and we took over the space and that was really just coming into the lab every day mm. and and doing exactly what it is that you wanted to do. And I had actually have never recorded like that. I've never taken that amount of time. So that was refreshing. Well, it's funny to hear you talk about that too, because I read that your team sort of thought, well, we're going to put Gregory in Paris with the band. The band can be setting up. He can take some time, mm-hmm. stroll the avenues, take an espresso and a croissant. But right. you were just working night and day. Yeah, well, this was my plan. Mm-hmm. They were not the team's plan. They were like, Gregory, that's <laughs> going to go. cost too much money. And I was like, no, yeah. this is what I want to do. I want to take the energy of Paris mm-hmm. and these feelings, these energies, even this political uh, acceptance. This je ne sais quoi. Je ne sais quoi. <laughs> <laughs> I want to bring that and see what that does to the recording, see what that does mm-hmm. to my feeling at the microphone. I like that. And that was the idea, and we did it for about two days at the beginning of the session. And then just, you know, the workaholic in me came out. <laughs> but the funny thing is I was getting my coffee and croissant. It just started at 7 a.m. There we go. And by, by 8, 30, 9 o'clock, I was in the studio. Wow. And the things that we had delivered were very, very, you know, they were like, okay, bring me some <laughs> oh, yeah. local French champagne and bring yes. me some, you know. <laughs> fromage. Yeah, right, fromage. And, and, <laughs> And baguettes. It's real. It is beautiful over there, and the food is amazing. And we ordered. We were ordering food from all of the contributing cultures of Paris, mm-hmm. and it did have an effect on on the vibe. And we finished the strings with the uh, London Symphony Orchestra oh, at, at Abbey Road. So that was that was a great experience as well. Incredible. Did you yeah. fly over for that one, or did you have your team work in the studio? Yeah, I did. No, I was there, but I had already done my singing, so mm-hmm. I, I was just making sure that everything was done in the right place. You know, the funny they they use that studio for everything now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, there's a you can do music there, you can have tours, you can even have parties. That's amazing. So, <laughs> yeah, a couple yeah. Of years ago, I know Niall Rogers took over as an ambassador. He's he's actually an ambassador for Abbey Road now. For this album, you assembled a 10-piece choir, as you mentioned, the London Symphony Orchestra strings and this killer horn section. This is all on top of your regular band. I wonder, Gregory, what was it that you really wanted to convey with this LP? I had been working with a lot of orchestras around the world, both with my material and with the music of Nat King Cole, my, my previous record. Right. And so I had a relationship with all of these wonderful orchestras 
And the fear of that had gone away, the, you know, mm. because there was a fear when I first started to work with orchestras. It's been so many years now, but... Sort of the fear of the classical world and the... Yeah, and then there is... The, well, not even the fear of the classical world. It's uh, I have a different approach about music. You know, I'll stop the whole thing and, and tell the violins to cry more. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I love that. And you have to have the right orchestra. You have to have mm-hmm. the right orchestra and the right conductor. And, and I found it. And in Troy Miller, my producer and arranger, he has an understanding of what I was trying to achieve and what I wanted emotionally. And I've worked with the London Symphony Orchestra many times for mm-hmm. different television shows. So it was, it was a perfect fit. Just being in the UK, a particular thing that's been extraordinary for me is this um, this cultural thing that has happened with Black American music, how it's traveled, you know, it's all around the world. And the mm-hmm. flavor of Southern gospel blues, which is that sound that you hear in the Black church, Black American mm-hmm. church, how that travels. It's incredible. And that sound exists in the UK, in these churches that are, you know, some of the members are from the Caribbean, some are from Africa, Nigeria. But when they're in that headspace, the accent goes away and they become members of the black diaspora centered in the American South. And they sound like the gospel choirs that I grew up singing in. I mean, I'm surprised to hear that this is the case, Gregory, that you recorded the gospel choir over there. Because like you're saying, you absolutely cannot hear any English accent at all in there. Yeah. Well, this happened, I mean, the experience of it happened several years earlier, which is why I went to do it this way. Yeah. Because there's something there's something that I'm always fascinated at the, it's not mimicry, it's, it's the somehow cultural connections that can happen to people that are so far separated but we have an understanding. And it's not just from listening to a bunch of um, YouTube videos. <laughs> it's coming from the heart. It's lived, yeah. It's lived. And so it's just something that I wanted to capture on recording. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when they step away from the studio and we go out to have a little coffee, all these thick, strong British accents, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes. African accents and, and Caribbean accents, mm-hmm. but none of them are there wow. when we go do the music. And it's, it's just killing that's beautiful. And, and you know, of course, it also makes sense with a lot of the material on the record that you're bringing all of this diaspora together. Yeah. I wonder, Gregor, if you could talk for a minute about the album's title, All Rise. I feel like there's a couple of levels to that. For me, the idea of the music lifting people mm-hmm. and... Generally, when you hear this term, all rise, it's like there's one deity who comes into the room and we all get up. Mm-hmm. out of respect for that one person. But I'm thinking, we all rise. We all lifted. We are all respected. Mm-hmm. And this is my idea about the music. And also the theme of ascension kept coming up for me before we recorded the, the record in the writing process. The idea of being lifted in songs like Revival mm-hmm. and Concord and Phoenix, all of them have this like, taking off kind of a Mm -hmm. feeling to them. Mm -hmm. And that's the feeling, almost the physical and mental feeling that I was having writing this record. Well, you know, we're talking about your audience taking this record in. While the albums had this huge response from critics, huge response from fans, you, of course, haven't been able to hit the road to share it with audiences. 
in the way you have the last five records. Mm -hmm. Gregory, how have you been connecting with your fans during the pandemic? Well, social media, the funny thing is, is I do a lot of direct messaging to fans. Do you really? I do. Wow. When they slide in the DMs, you... Right. <laughs> when you, you hit a back. When you say it that way, it sounds, cre- <laughs> sounds creepy, like I'm looking for <laughs> a little side love. But, but actually... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they are. Who knows? <laughs> That's so cool you engage with yeah, them, man. Yeah, yeah. When there's a story there that just really gets me, you know, mm. like I bought tickets for my father and this was his you know one of his wishes to see you before he passes this these type of things wow and these concerts that i was supposed to have didn't happen you know london and all over the world right you had a world tour going and so when i catch that message because a lot of them get past me but when i catch that message i try to just like sometimes just singing a happy birthday sometimes just uh, just just sending a little thing that's beautiful and you know Sometimes I'm trying to do these things without advertisement so it doesn't reach a bunch of people, but it, it's having that profound effect on yeah. the people that I want it to have. Yeah. That is a deep connection. Yeah. Wow. And ultimately, that's what each and every fan is. It's a personal connection mm-hmm. that sometimes you can fulfill with the music, but sometimes it can get a little bit closer. And, and that's what I'm, is, is what this commerce is. It's not in you coming to see my greatness. It's really me communicating emotion. That's mm. what I'm trying to do at a live performance and mm. recording as well. Yeah, well, and, and, and the profundity is a two-way street, like you say. You're touching them and, and they're sharing stories with you that are incredibly powerful and, and I'm sure make a lot of your work feel even more meaningful. Yeah, you said it exactly. And, um, and people have inspired my music. Mm. I think of a song like Thank You, you may have noticed that I'm doing a lot of play with the spiritual side mm-hmm. of my life. I'm, I'm playing with this idea of heaven and earth, the sacred and profane, the terrestrial heaven and extraterrestrial heaven. Gregory, you're talking about extraterrestrial, and I couldn't believe this, man. The astronauts and rocket scientists at NASA turn out to be huge <laughs> Gregory Porter fans, man. This is amazing. I mean... You're big in space. <laughs> you were recently asked to sing America the Beautiful, yeah. of course, in a socially distanced, safe way for the launch of the Mars 2020 Perseverance rover mission. I got to say this. No other artist in the history of the space program has been invited by NASA to perform. Yeah. How did this come to be? And, and how did it feel for you? Really extraordinary. There also, there was some powers that be uh, were, were very attracted to my song, Concord. The video of which has you actually in a uh, an astronaut suit. Uh-huh. And, and my son has a NASA shirt on, which was a last-minute addition by him. Oh, that's your son. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's my son Beautiful. in the video. Beautiful. So we were like, oh, I don't think... I don't think, Mass like, maybe we should get a T-shirt with, a, with maybe a spaceship on it. That would be cool. But using NASA, I don't think that's a good idea. There's got to be some problem with that. Mm-hmm. Just in case there's a copyright infringement or... Yeah, you know. it turns out as a taxpayer, we pay for NASA. So There you go. <laughs> so I own that logo, right? <laughs> they work for you. They work for me. <laughs> and <laughs> so, yeah, so it was cool. And they got wind of it and they just embraced it. And, you know, they were like, well, we're going to play your music in space. And I was like awesome and all, all of it was very cool yeah how did it feel to be performing during that launch what was that like for you 
Very cool, iconic. NASA is like really important in my area. We have uh, Edwards Air Force Base that's really near. Ah, gotcha. And they would, for years, they would do testing. When they can't land in Florida, they land here. Okay. So I've had lots of childhood experience thinking, dreaming, watching mm-hmm. NASA. So I never thought I would ever have this opportunity. In addition to that, when everything settles, we're, we're promised a tour of the launch site. And, oh, you know, wow. they're like, you know, hey, maybe your son would like to get inside. I was like, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, not just him. I'm coming yeah. in. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And so many times this has happened to me. It's like dreams I didn't know that were dreams. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't know that such a thing would ever be possible. Mm-hmm. Not the Grammys, not the relationship with NASA, not the first lady coming to a show, not, you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Not hanging out with Stevie Wonder. These things that happen as byproducts of my, my career, they are the, the, the extra things that are just like, wow, this is amazing. That's so incredible. Yeah. I'm here for your memoir, by the way. I'm just going to plant that seed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, Gregory, we got to talk a little bit earlier about the specificity that you look for in sound, whether that's the musicians you choose to work with or the studios you record in. Speaking to that discerning sonic concept, is it true that you're a big fan of Macintosh audio gear? That is true. That is true. Nice. I'm, I'm waiting on uh, my shipment to come. Na- no. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the mail. It's in the mail. Let me explain this to you. At the time that I was collecting records and at the time where Blue Note was just a dream for me, Mm -hmm. I, I would imagine myself as an artist being on Blue Note records and playing my own vinyl on a Macintosh system. I was like, as long as I have those green lights... Yes. And blue lights. And as long as my turntable is fat and bright. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let me tell you what happened. I was touring in Japan and we went to one of those little tiny, maybe you can fit 10 people into the bar. Wow. But it's a music listening bar. And they have only about maybe five or six different whiskeys. It's not cocktails. You can drink whiskey. Yeah, and these listening bars are big in Japan. They're, they're, they're enormous. Thing. They're enormous. Yeah. And the owner had a beautiful Macintosh system and incredible speakers that took up half the space. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> this was very early in my career, and I was like, wow. I, I thought I had heard Kind of Blue. I thought I had heard it. Yeah, yeah. And, Miles Davis. And then I really heard it. So it was really something extraordinary. Mm. And when it came time to, to I, I moved back to California, and it was time to set up my system here, my studio in the back of my home. You know, it's got to be Macintosh. We got to we got to do it that way. Mm-hmm. And so I have, yeah, I have a beautiful system in the living room. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> I'm doing the thing that I talked about earlier in the interview, living the dream. Mm. I'm putting my records on All Rise. Yes. Liquid Spirit, Take Me to the Alley, Nat King Cole and Me. I'm putting those records onto my turntable. And it's, yeah, it's real. It's real. It's awesome. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. 
I understand the spontaneity is a huge part of your songwriting process and that you have had to figure out ways to capture it in the moment. Yeah, I think um, I'm writing about things that move me. And if I do that, there is never inauthenticity. I'm never just like phoning it in. Mm -hmm. I really care about these things which I've written about because they come to me in the moment of when I'm vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Just after a, a tear or just after hearing about the, the plight of children in some war zone or something like mm-hmm. that with a song like Merchants of Paradise. Yeah, so, which is very, man, I mean, you really put a lot into a jazz song there lyrically. That is, yeah, that's some powerful stuff. Yeah, but the key is to keep it vague enough to cause the listener to think. You plant your minds in the minds of children the ones that don't know the names and the games of the gods. Mm. Tell me, what are one or two of the things you most look forward to once you hit the road again? What have you really missed? The food and the vistas and the, yeah. the people. I've, yeah. I've, this is the thing that I believed before I started touring that we are all the same. We have the same cares and desires and wants for our loved ones and, and just as people. And I found that to be true. I mean, we had, as Americans, we have these preconceived ideas about who the Russians are, who the Chinese are, who the British are. (laughs) But the equalizer somehow, it's not just my music. I think it's music, period. And when there's a song that's intended to make a person's heart melt, Mm. it makes people's heart melt all over the world. The Chinese and the Russian people who are listening who can't understand the English that I'm singing still feel something emotionally, still. Mm -hmm. The universal language, and it's really an extraordinary thing. That's one thing that I miss. But this is so human of us. You know, (laughs) Concord, the song Concord is about, you know, I really love zipping all around the world. Yeah. It's extraordinary, but I really love being at home, this, this fire that's raging behind me. I really love that. Going to my stereo and playing Nat King Cole on, on my Macintosh system. I mean, this mm-hmm. is, it's a human thing to enjoy where you are, but miss where you come from. Yes, beautiful. And then when you're home long enough, then you want to be out on the road again. So mm-hmm. this, is, this is a very human thing, but I miss both. I miss both very much. Uh, That's such a beautiful way to say it. Gregory, I just want to thank you so much for taking some time with us from your home today to chop it up about your amazing new record, about Macintosh. And uh, I'll tell you this, when you play New York next time, I'll be there. I'm right on, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for listening to this very special episode of Talkhouse and Macintosh's For the Love of Music podcast series. Check out our previous episodes with longtime Grateful Dead engineer and Furman Electronics founder Janet Furman and with Third Man Records co-owner and White Stripes archivist Ben Blackwell. Visit MacintoshLabs.com to check out the very best amplifiers, preamplifiers, receivers, speakers, and turntables being made by hand in Binghamton, New York. Our producers for this series are Ian Wheeler and Mark Yoshizumi. Gregory Porter recorded himself at his home in Bakersfield, California. This episode had additional engineering from Katie Lau, and our researcher is Reese Higgins. Till next time, I'm Elia Einhorn. Peace. Peace.